Welcome, I'm Larry Olson, and what's on your mind? Once set, it delivers your life. To change the outcomes we want, we must change the plays we're running. Join us at Mindset Playbook with real people, real talk, for real insight. Well, welcome everyone. We've got an uh, exciting guest today. Uh, Diane has a master's degree in speech-language pathology with extensive experience in neuromuscular developmental centers and residential head injury facilities specializing in cognitive development and cognitive retraining. And what on earth does that mean? Is that when individuals have head injuries, they lose their ability to function normally. And there's a big transition that has to take place to be able to get them back functioning functioning uh, somewhat more like they were prior to the injury. Uh, it takes a lot of, lot of patience, a lot of time, and a lot of expertise to be able to help those people uh, overcome that head injury and get back into society. And that's the statement that I just made about Diane's um, background. Among other fascinating programs she's developed, Diane worked doing hip hippotherapy as a speech-language pathologist with autistic children. And we'll get more into that, but that is uh, what happens when you put a young child on a horse. Yes. And the connection that that horse and the, uh, and the individual make, uh, being able to make that a part of therapy just is amazing to me. Um, for the last 24 years, and currently, Diane is the COO of Apernio, and Apernio is a cutting-edge organization with a specialty in developing high-performance cultures through engaged associates. They work with corporations and individuals looking to go to the next level. And with all that going on, she's also the mother of five grown children. <laughs> five wonderfully grown children. Wonderfully grown children, <laughs> yes. Uh, Diane, I want to welcome you to Mindset Playbook. And uh, what a specialized background. From what I've just shared... You seem to be all about making others' lives better. And with that seems to be a varied background from speech-language pathology to COO of Apernio. What do you think was a commonality that you believe brings those two specialties together? Yes, well, thank you, Larry. I'm very happy to be here, and thank you for having me on your show. You're um, I think really the, the thing that brings it together is the brain. Um, and how the brain impacts your performance, whether it's in communication or whether it's in um, corporate America. So working with children and adults at the head injury facility or the kids from birth who had a communication disorder, learning how the brain was working really lent itself nicely to corporate America and how cultures are built and how high performance is built. Okay. So the transition, surprisingly, was very easy, very exciting, because to bridge that gap between the two, I really enjoyed. You did? Yeah. You? And okay. I still do. All right. All right. <laughs> well, what, um, you know, I've got so many questions I want to ask, mm -hmm. but I wanted to start out with, um, how did you make go about making the transition from speech pathology getting into CEO of Apernio, which I know... Um, is a company that's all about helping people change their mind. And that's one of the most challenging things for most organizations when they go to make a change in the culture or a change in how they do processes or whatever, um, is getting people to buy in. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And um, the ease with that, going into allowing them a little understanding of how their mind works, makes it much more of a um, easy transition for them to accept and become a part of the new culture. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to transition to be able to do that. You transitioned from speech pathology and head injuries into um, corporate America. And please share with us some of the things that occurred in your life that caused transition in itself to occur. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the kind of, if you could segue into speech pathology to COO. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I will say there has been um, one major transition in mm. my life. Um, you know, through my life, I just kind of kind of flowed through it, went with the wave of life and took me great places. And I was always excited where I was going. And then um, then I ended up getting a divorce. Mm. And um, that was something I never saw in my life. Uh, I was the very first person either side of my families mm. to have a divorce. And so that was a transition right there. Um, I loved my job, but um, there are other areas of my life I'm like, okay, now what do I do? Hmm. And so I was like, okay, what have I been thinking about? Oh, I was thinking about, oh, I'd like to go out to to dinner. I just, I never get to. It's all about the kids and work, and which is great. How old were your children at the time? Um, well, at that time, I just had two. Okay. And um, one was five, and one was two and a half. Okay. Yeah. All so right. they were very young, and um, so anyway, um, I had to start making some decisions because I kept rolling in my head. Oh, I wish I could go out to eat. Oh, I wish I was doing this. Oh, I wish I was doing that, and I was like paralyzed, not going anywhere. So. I, I came across a quote someplace that has been a substantial impact uh, for my life, which is, if it's to be, it's up to me. And I'm like, what? Well, I've just been riding the wave of life. It's going just fine. And I'm like, I have to make some decisions now. And so I started thinking, what am I thinking about in my head all the time? Oh, and I'm just using the example of wanting to go out to eat. Um, So it was like, okay, I just want to go out to eat once a week. And so I thought, okay, I'm not going out to dinner by myself. Forget that. And um, also the kids were home and there's homework and you want to hang out with them. So I thought, I'll go out to lunch once a week. And, you know, so I thought, okay, that'll be great. And then it's like, wait, where am I going to go to lunch? oh, now I have to pick the restaurant because I'm only going out once, so it better be good. So anyway, I ended up doing that. Um, it was terrifying to go out to so, lunch. <laughs> so were these, were these for you then kind of baby steps that you were taking, even though they were monumental with yeah. full time? You're working full time? I was actually working three jobs. Three jobs. At the time um, to support... Uh, ourselves critical part of the story yeah because <laughs> <laughs> otherwise people are going big deal you're gonna go out to lunch or you want to go out to dinner yeah um, but you're totally immersed in surviving yes. financially as well as wanting to be a great mom to your children yes yeah so you know that was the first steps of um, financially how do I make it so that 
we continue to live our great life. And um, so I had to transition from a job I really loved. Um, it was a United Way funded company mm -hmm. uh, facility and had to go t a little bit more towards the dollars. Gotcha. Um, and so that transition, they only had a part-time job. So then I had to take another part-time job and then one more. So oh um, I got there and then eventually the position, the head injury facility I was at, I got to go full-time and then still had a weekend job there oh. with them, bringing um, the clients out into society to reintegrate the skills they'd learned in therapy out into society. How did you manage to stay away from woe is me? What, oh. Look at what life's done to me. Or, oh, man. Or did that, or that occur? <laughs> oh, that occurred. That <laughs> occurred a variety of times. And, you know, and I didn't want it to occur after yeah. a while. And, like, I am tired of that. And nothing's changing. Hmm. And, again, I'm still thinking the same things. Oh, I want to do this. Oh, I always wanted to do that. Oh, God, I can't do that. And so whenever something continued to play in my head, I decided I needed, needed to take make a vision for it, take okay. a step towards it so um, I didn't get stuck in what was me. Gotcha. And so I may go out to this one restaurant I thought was going to be all that, or I go to a gym that was going to cure everything for me. And I go and I'm like, hmm, that didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so then I'm like, okay, not a failure. It just gives me more information. Well, really, that isn't what I thought it was. Hmm. Hmm. So it gave me the opportunity to be very conscious about what I was doing in my life hmm. um, and to continue to grow and see everything as a growth step versus, oh, woe is me. Did That didn't work out. So, oh, it's still life is tough. Where do you think that came from that you were able to Look at the failure as information. That's something you said that's very powerful. You didn't look at it as like, oh, okay, so now wasn't going out, wasn't the great gym, wasn't. Um, and for for a lot of us, it's the money or it's mm -hmm. the spouse or it's the job or it's the. Mm -hmm. And that's generally because there's some feeling of lack within self that if I have that, then I will be happy or whatever that yeah. is that we're yearning towards. Where was your where did your awareness come from? Was it from your speech pathology background or was it was it an aha moment or can you think of how you were able to turn a failure into information instead of a major setback? Um, well, I, again, I have to go back to. Uh, I just kind of rode the wave of life for a long time, and um, and it was great. I was younger, obviously, but it was really great. And um, so if something wasn't going right or I didn't accomplish what I wanted to, um, I kind of looked back to see, oh, yeah, you know what life can be like that. And... Um, then also my speech background, because you can't ride the wave in speech. Oh, really? Oh. <laughs> it's, what, you do know, you, what do you mean by that? Well, it's all, you've got to make a goal for, you know, four or five goals, each client. You've got to have a percentage. You would have a either the parent or your supervisor watching you through a two-way mirror 
100% of the time, Ooh. one of those two. And there had to be a ratio how many words you said versus how many the client said. And so it was very sucks. on purpose. I just keep from being <laughs> self-conscious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably desperation of making right. it. <laughs> right. But wow. um, so that, that um, education kind of helped me also know that things were inc- incremental. Okay. okay. Um, it wasn't just I'm divorced or I'm living the perfect Stefford wife kind of deal. Gotcha. You know, yeah. it was there's steps in between. And um, I always have a natural curiosity anyway. Hmm. So as long as I was curious and um, it was positive for my kids that I was interested in continuing going through all of that. On top of, I'm sorry, it's a long answer, but right. I was very fortunate enough to go to an incredible uh, workshop. It's called The Life, Lessons in the Fundamentals of Excellence. And um, there was a number of key things in the seminar, but one thing that really touched me was, I can't remember what it's called, but it was um, a statement of, I look forward to new opportunities and seize it with I don't know, was it passion? Enthusiasm Enthusiasm. Yes. So there was plenty of things that I was very nervous about. Mm. Um, changing jobs, we moved to a new location, um, the kids put, were in a new school, uh, all kinds of things. But as soon as I started getting nervous in my head, because I am in my head a lot, okay. um, I was like, okay, stop. You're going to take this opportunity. You're going to seize it with enthusiasm. And so just that moment of stopping and recalling that Mm -hmm. statement, Mm -hmm. or if it's to be, it's up to me, would bring me to to the next step. And then go, okay, what did you learn from that? Hmm. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, That's so powerful. What did you learn from that instead of you lose her? (laughs) <laughs> or you've never been good at, or I knew this was going to happen. I mean, all of the all of the things that we can say to ourselves when a dream, a vision, a goal is not it, at least we think is not in our grasp any longer. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's so interesting about what you said is you said a background in your education that. Life was not necessarily one leap of faith after another, that there were incremental steps. Mm -hmm. And you learned that as a speech-language pathologist. Yes. Um, But it's interesting what the things we learn in life and how they become applicable in in the situations we find ourselves in. Mm -hmm. Um, So you had gone to the seminar, the life program, and you'd heard that statement and some other things. But um, what else, where else did you see these changes beginning to occur in your life? Um, You know, uh, professionally, um, choosing to leave speech. Okay. And um, move into kind of the corporate world. That was a big jump. Okay. Um, There is a big difference between healthcare and the corporate world. And um, healthcare, uh, that field is fabulous. Um, I was so fortunate to work in places that worked as a team. 
So the culture was all about the team making the best for the, each client. So you had your OT, your PT, your speech, your neurologist, and we would all come together in meetings to figure out the best plan hmm. for a client. So when I started going over, thinking about going to corporate America, I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm going to lose that creative side that I had to have, and um, I'm going to lose. I might lose that opportunity of working with the team, but actually making the jump was was very easy and exciting because of um, the company Apernio, uh, with working with them in that it's about building high performance cultures based on, not based, but including on your thinking and how that affects everything you do. So I had that neurological side and understanding of things. And so it was more about then creating uh, in that gap between speech and uh, corporate America with the perineal, how those come together and how that actually you can take a lot of those tenants into what is going on in corporate America for their cultures. And speaking of culture, what, uh, what, is, what does culture mean to you? What, what is it about? You mentioned something about all of these different professions. Um, different expertise, should I say, from the from the neurologist to PT, OT, yeah, the physical therapist. Mm-hmm. What's the OT? Occupational, Occupational. therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, and every one of them, I'm sure, has an ego. <laughs> um, I'm sure they do, and you can be in a a place. Um, I did work for a very short time in a skilled nursing facility, and um, I was just I was shell shocked. I was used to, again, a team approach, and you walk into the, uh, the skilled facility, nursing facility, you hope you have a room to do your mm. therapy in. You're not absolutely positive who you're going to see that day because it depends on their funding. It depends who may have had um, some issues during the night or whatever, and you write your doctor's notes, and then you leave. Mm. Mm. Uh, that was the facility I was at, so I'm like what? What happened to my team? And, you know, looking at the whole person. And I think even in corporate America that's pertinent in culture has to look at the whole company, mm-hmm. um, not just the head of the company, not just the CEO. It has to look at the whole team or it really doesn't work. And that's something I learned in speech gotcha. is having that whole team around you. And you didn't see a contradiction going to get involved with a pernio no not at all because that's what a pernio um is about is building high performance teams and um again that culture and i when i was in speech other than the skilled nursing facility you wouldn't have had to pay me Hmm. i was an engaged employee i would have done anything and and so we would work about 70, 75 hours a week because wow. um, you had to see your client, but you did all the paperwork afterwards. And um, and so I did go to the director, and I, you know, I had one of my kids, and I said, oh, I'm working so many hours. I'm not getting paid for those hours. And she goes, you know what? You're a professional. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay, I'm a professional now. You know, but... Just that little um, 
kind of nod of, okay, this is how we do this. This is who you are. Yes. And so it made me a very engaged employee. I would have done um, any of that, maybe a couple extra hours, not at night, but um, where I wouldn't have had to been paid. Mm. Just let me volunteer and come in and do it. Yeah. Yeah. And so the passion and the purpose, that's something that has always kind of come with me. Um, I was going to ask you about that. The, one of the key elements in an engaged culture is having the people involved, mm-hmm. having them be a part of the vision, not just inheriting it or here's what we stand for and we'd like you to play this way. Um, and your you have and sounds like to all of us that are listening a came into this whole element into speech pathology into parenting and into a pernio with your own sense of purpose with what you stand for and and it sounds like when that's in sync with i.e i i didn't even need to pay me (laughs) you know i just enjoy this so much that it 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 creates that zone or whatever that elusive term is where we're all about what's going on in others and we're no longer about ourselves you know all all if if you're in athletics all the pitcher sees is is where the ball's going to go mm-hmm. it's not concerned about anything else and is not amazed when the ball goes there because it's just all in sync mm-hmm. And when we are able to get in sync with one another in an organization, yeah. the results are, are extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult for a lot of people to understand that because of hidden agendas. You know, I want to do this as a leader, and I want to do that as a leader, and I know best as a leader. And that may very well be. But there comes a time when you're able to share that when you actually have someone who's interested. Yes. And we don't become interested if we don't feel involved. Mm -hmm. So long question here. Um, What do you feel your grounding comes from, where your sense of purpose is? Hmm. Um. That you don't want violated, that you, you know, it's your line in the sand. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think it is really, I stand for bringing hope to everybody. You know, if you break it way down, I wanted my kids, even though they went through the divorce, I wanted them to have hope of a bright future. Um, I, every client I worked with, um, I had that empathy of being in their shoes and being able to see and feel where that would be. And I wanted them to have hope that they could go to another level. And so basic as with the kids I worked at the Neuromuscular Developmental Center were ages birth to three. So they came into this world with a syndrome or communication problem, um, a variety of different backgrounds. And I just remember thinking, you know, life is tough, period, Mm -hmm. let alone having some type of deficit or challenge and so I want to help those kids. And what, at my time there, I really started specializing in augmentative communication, which is communication with um, kids who have no verbal communication. Mm-hmm. So had to go into the nonverbal, had to teach them the cause and effect that their words 
or their sounds or their actions have an effect on the world. Hmm. So you had to go way back into that basic. Wow. But you can bring that into corporate America. <laughs> you can, well, that's you know? that body language, tone of voice. That's right. And that your words have an effect, what your actions have an effect on something greater than just you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, okay. again, that's another thing. You know, it was just I could sit here and pick out a, a bunch of things from speech that um, correlates to your thinking, um, what you do, your engagement. Let's, let's take a moment and um, talk a little bit about all of the studies and most people have heard this is that the words we use are about 10% of what we're communicating the rest is body language and tone of voice and if you really research it you find out that that isn't even close that body language and tone of voice is is like 99% and if the words don't match that we're not considered sincere authentic so we as people read each other not so much by what somebody says, but what am I feeling and sensing about this person? Mm-hmm. And you, you really took it to an interesting level. I find this fascinating because I don't, I, I recognize that I've been communicating on an emotional IQ kind of level and not necessarily been aware of it. And everybody that's listening is doing the same thing. But what you said is you said helping people understand how they're communicating without words. Mm-hmm. Now, even though words are such a small percentage, we're all paying attention to them. Yeah. And if we're not paying attention to those, we're paying attention to the ones we're saying to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right? So how on earth could you help someone who can't use words understand the impact that their feelings and emotions had on another human being what were some of the thing techniques and things that you would do with the kids that i worked with yeah that didn't couldn't use words yeah um you know it depended on their severity level um you know even with a head injury um children and adults um if they were older they understood that whole cause and effect concept. So they could use their eyes or they might um, lift a finger or might be able to move their mouth or whatever in a way that we could see consistently. You would start with yeses and nos. Hmm. You know, were they able to consistently do that? With the younger kids, they still... So you would ask a series of questions after you were able to agree together that this means yes and that means no. Yeah. Yeah. And that would help you help them? Yeah. So they Could had, they understand you? Yeah. So they had the cognitive function of that. Okay. So they know? understood words. Yes. They just couldn't speak words. Correct. Okay. Yeah. With the younger <clears throat> children, birth to three, um, some of them didn't even, they didn't have the cognition to understand that emotion or whatever they did had an effect on the world. So okay. we would start with... Um, you could start with a little uh, little piano if they touched it. Did, did I do oh, Did I get all excited? Mm. That's an effect. Something they've done. Oh, just like parents do with their kids. They said, Mama, oh, yay, or you walked or whatever. That's some, some motion that they did. So a lot of times we'd moved into um, uh, a toy. So if the kid touched um, the pad the toy would start activating. 
And uh, so that started giving them the understanding that their hand moving on that pad created that action. Mm-hmm. And so you just take steps incrementally all the way up to that. A lot of, you understand language receptively, so understanding it before you can express it. Okay. So um, a lot of people don't know that, but with kids, they're understanding more than what they're saying initially. Uh, because you can't say daddy if you don't know that daddy is a man or somebody significant in your life that you see and you got a reaction when you said it. Does that make sense? Yes. So, so that's kind of the steps of what we do. In hippotherapy, which was absolutely fascinating, um, I am a horseback rider on top of it, so that was nice. <laughs> but... Um, The autistic kids, when they're on a horse, the motion, the kinetic motion of the horse walking helps stabilize like the central nervous system for the children. So they have some, let's say, clarity during that time while they're on the horse. So um, an autistic kid kind of child doesn't necessarily know where they are in space and um, can't put it all together sometimes. So when they're on the horse, it kind of like centers them. Mm. So they're able to get some information in or get something out that not necessar- was necessarily were they able to later. Does that make sense? Yeah, and yet how would you translate that to having them um, connecting better or... Mm-hmm whatever that that measurement is that this has been effective well there was you always had your objectives what would an objective be for instance well let's see it's been a while um but it may be that um jane says 15 words while you're on your while you're doing hippotherapy then when you go back to your therapy room She's able in, to interact appropriately fifty uh, percent or sixty percent of the time. So there is that carryover. And she may time. have only been able to do that fifty-five percent of the time uh, before, or forty, or twenty. Okay. You know, it's so, whatever. So if if that's not a going on, then the hypnotherapy is not working. Is that what the you're hippo. saying? Hippo. Hippo. I'm yeah. sorry. Hippo. <laughs> okay. Because um, I'm reason I'm I'm curious about this is. All of us communicate. Mm -hmm. It's our means of survival. To the degree we're good at it, we seem to make more opportunities created for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet, many people, like the kids you're working with, don't understand the implications of their actions on others. And you're attempting to make that connection with them. Am I understanding you correctly? Yeah, you know, and it all depends on the level of the child, um, where their cognition is, where their thinking skills are. But your ultimate goal with these people, is it not to help them function at a higher level than they were prior to the therapy? Absolutely, absolutely. And that that in itself is something that we're all striving to do, whether it's in our business Mm -hmm. or in our, in our personal life is, am I any better today than I was yesterday? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that makes today no better than yesterday is when I'm bringing yesterday's shortcomings, failures, um, Oh, you dumb son of a gun Mm -hmm. into now. Yeah. And what people can do is they interpret now based on, I don't want that to happen again. Or, uh uh-oh, this is about to happen again. Mm -hmm. 
And what I'm hearing from you and what I think is important for all of us is that what's the play? The mindset is I can bring my past into the moment, which 95% of people do. Yeah. Right? And then they get bored or it's the same old, same old, or I hate my job or none of which is true. And I'm just going to throw that out there. Okay. <laughs> Because just the fact that they have a job with all the unemployment, they should be friggin' grateful. And the way you're grateful is, do you want to live in a place or would you rather be out on the street? No, I'd rather live in a place. Well, then be grateful that you're getting the means to be able to make that happen. But that's only one way. And, and that is a way. And I think you fluctuate between the ways. What do you mean only well, one way? Well, that's a w- way to feel grateful that you have a job. Because otherwise you might be out on the street. Correct. And, and we all visit that spot because you sometimes have to go there. But may, I would say the majority of the time for me, it was looking forward and, okay, I'm here. I'm going to make the best of this. Yeah, now that's where I wanted to get to. Okay. Is what's your trigger so that you can be present in the moment and be looking forward mm-hmm. rather than I hope this doesn't happen again. Yeah. Or same old, same old, just different day. Well, I think that, um, again, it, a concept that um, we have for Apernio is taking that gap, taking that moment. We do all have moments where we go, oh, I, I'm not sure I really like this. I'm not sure I really like my job. I'm not sure I think I, I like the CEO. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I like this. And then... The trick is not to get stuck there. And so I did learn to, again, I didn't until the whole transition started taking place, but um, I got better at going, okay, stop. I seize every opportunity with enthusiasm. And if it's to be, it's up to me. And so that took every situation. Okay, I'm going to be here. And that would be your gap that would bridge... Yes. Victim to looking forward. Looking forward. Yeah, yeah, and it. And I think in a perennial they call it the gap of opportunity. I don't think. I, I know. I know. <laughs> um, and it, and the and the and the gap of opportunity for those of you that are listening is when something happens to you. Before you spend too much time dwelling on it, especially if it's not positive, ask yourself, how do I want to be right now? What do I want the mo- next moment to be like? And what happens is you're basically taking a time out. Yeah. And you're looking at what's happened. You're experiencing it. You're learning from it. But you're recognizing something very important. That it's just something that happened. It's not you. It's not who you are. It's happening to you. Mm-hmm. But it isn't you. And that's a huge, huge difference. Yeah. Because I'm sure... You being able to be the person that you are, you're not a quitter. Try not to be. Okay. <laughs> and so you didn't give up on your marriage. What happened is it was no longer healthy. Correct. Yeah. That's what I'm guessing. Yeah. And and so rather than, no, at least I'm married. It's not that bad which is what we can do with the situation and then continue to not be happy. Mm -hmm. Um, 
would you think it was your speech language pathology background that allowed you to make that transition that not continue to be in a relationship that wasn't working um what do you give credit to that you know i have to give credit to my kids okay how so um i had a picture of what i wanted my kids life to feel like Okay. Not necessarily I wanted them to be the president or the doctor, but I wanted them to feel in their life. And so when it was, I kind of set some, this is where the speech came in. I set some goals in my head. Okay, this, if, if this line's crossed, then they're not going to have that feeling. And so when those milestones were hit, whatever, it was like, okay, I don't think this is healthy for, for us, for everybody involved. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was really that vision for the kids that brought me through that I because gotcha. I would have stuck it out okay. forever for my kids. Okay. So right. um, they have been a fabulous teacher. That's a really interesting difference between being there for your children in a situation that's miserable or being in there for your children so that they can have a life where they can feel good about themselves. Mm-hmm. And that allowed you to move away from what can be very difficult for, for many, many, many people. Yes. Because it's, it's by society's standards sometimes, can, oh, you failed in your relationship. Yes. And, yes. and again, rather than what did I learn from this so you didn't get into another relationship yes. and have the same thing happen, that is a kind of an interesting thing. Okay. So, um, so I knew I wanted to move because I lived in the suburb, and um, it was a great neighborhood with lots of families, lots of kids. It had a cul-de-sac. Really, was a great place for the kids. Um, and I wanted to move into the city. And then I knew, you know, again, working that many jobs, I didn't have any time to date for like a year. And so um, I started thinking about, okay, what is it that I want my house to look like? What is it that the person I date, I want them to have? And so a lot of people talk about vision, and that was definitely getting a vision. And a lot of people can do it just with words. But as you probably can tell, I'm a little more of an emotional kind of visual person. (laughs) And um, so... Because, you know, words, I'd say, oh, I want it to be wonderful. It's like, okay, what does wonderful look like? Mm -hmm. And so I went out and got a bunch of magazines um, and poured some wine. And (laughs) one night, and I started taking out pictures from the magazine going, oh, this is what wonderful looks like to me. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is what this kind of house looks like to me. And, oh, yeah, this is what this kind of guy would look like to me. You know, so I had my own page for the house. I had my own page for the type of person I wanted to date. And so, you know, you never get them all. But my house loved it. Um, It was great, 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 great. And I got to remodel it, which then went into another kind of vision board of what does that look like? Um, But then I had like 15 characteristics of a man I wanted to date. And because I didn't want to go back. So I wanted to make sure, you know, again, what were those things that I was thinking, oh, I wish our relationship was like that. And what would someone have to be like to do that? And 
so I had the list and not very many people even got to the list. (laughs) When they got the, the gentleman I ended up um, being with had 90% of the characteristics on it. And this is just a little side humor. (laughs) What I didn't have on my list was how tall they were. (laughs) So they're shorter than I am, but you know, it's okay. (laughs) That was like, ah, I should have put that on the list. But it's all, you know, that's all good. That's such a minor thing. But um, all the other characteristics that person has that um, are wonderful. And by wonderful, I know what that means now. I'm able mm. to visually mm. see that and get the mm. feeling that's of what that means. That's such a good point. Yeah. Because that's, that is, I think, where vision gets a bad rap. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have a vision. I want wonderful things to happen to me. And you can't draw towards you what you haven't defined, what isn't specific. Yeah. It's got to be a target. There's got to be something that you're shooting at. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's... As we're having this interview, there's there's a little elephant in the room. Um, Diane is my wife, and I was a little embarrassed by what she was just sharing that I'm not tall enough. No, but I'll not take, as tall as me. You're tall enough. I'll just take not the ninety percent. I'll take that. Um, but I think that the um, the transition too was I was looking as well. Yes. When I um, saw Diane for the first time. And I had decided on purpose that I was going to meet a quality woman. And um, I had at one time been the uh, uh, a manager of a restaurant at the Olympic Four Seasons downtown Seattle called Shuckers, which was a seafood Fabulous kind of place. restaurant. Thank you. It had nothing to do with that. But, <laughs> um, I'll take credit for it. And, um, and after getting a divorce and... and moving in the area where I could be close to to my children. And that's where Diane's five came from because I brought three to the party. That's right. To her too. And um, they were very young, four and six when when we met. Um, But I had gone down to the Olympic Four Seasons, walked up to the concierge and says, where's a guy like me meet a quality woman? And generally they're help you find a theater or (laughs) a good restaurant in town. He looked at me like, this guy is serious. And he named three different establishments. And it's like six in the evening on a Saturday night, so nothing's really going on. And I went into the first one, and it was six in the evening, and nothing was really (laughs) going on. I went to the second restaurant. It was very pretentious. And um, I hadn't been dating, and and it just seemed a little gamish to me. And uh, and so a little time went on, and I went to the final restaurant. I think by then it was about 8 or 8.30. Yeah. And um, an old friend had come up and wanted to talk. And I had met her a couple of years before that and um, thanked her, but just told her I was just kind of hanging and kicking back, kind of just enjoying myself for a moment. And she was very kind about it. And she left. And about an hour later, the front door opens up. And there's this woman that just knocked me out. I mean, it was just everything that I had ever imagined and more. And the first thing I said to myself was out of my league. First thing I said, I said, cool, but you know, not in my league. And it was interesting that I said that because I didn't recognize at the time, and this was 25 years ago, Mm -hmm. 
about where my own self-image was at. And um, and yet, the story's not over. Um, <laughs> she goes and sits down, and, and they had a little three-piece band, I think, that played some music at this restaurant, and people started dancing. And the woman had it come up earlier to talk to me, had come up, came back again, and she says, hey, my friends have arrived. Would you like to come over and join me? And I said, where are your friends? And she pointed to the table, and there was Diane. And I said, yeah, I think I would. (laughs) (laughs) And I overcame all of my trepidation, and she's out of my league. And within five minutes, we're sharing pictures of our kids. Yeah. And it was just so natural. Um, And which was one of high on my list. Was it? Yes. Yeah. 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 And and then I had the opportunity to have her attend one of my programs. Mm Mm-hmm. And we uh, ended up finding out that uh, my company really had the opportunity to become what something really important. And that's when you came to the party. So I thank you for that in many ways. Yes. And I, uh, you know, I'm very curious, too, about, as we're all listening and recognizing, and we talked about the fact of clarity of vision. You wrote down 15 qualities and characteristics that you wanted. And what were some of those? Just so people get an idea of what a quality or a characteristic is, for instance. Yeah. Um, well, don't be gushing over what no, I No, I'm, 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 <laughs> that's a tough question to ask, no. but you probably understand why I'm asking. Um, I was looking for... Um, Someone who was honest. Honest. Okay, so let's specifically, again, why did honesty come up? Um, it just had been... Did you feel that, and I'm going to lead the witness a little bit, did you feel that there was some dishonesty in part of your relationship before? Um, whether it was in my old relationship or other relationships, yeah, whatever. honesty is a big one, period. Okay, because sometimes, know. and the reason I, I set that up, mm-hmm. is sometimes people say, well, I don't know what I want. That's mm-hmm. the problem, or I'd be more specific. And I'll go, do you know what you don't want? Mm-hmm. And that's called backing into your vision. Yeah. You know, well, the last person I met treated me like this. Well, how would you like to be treated? So then that becomes one of the qualities and characteristics. And that's how envision in a relationship can be started. Yeah. Because attractiveness is not necessarily how someone looks. Attractiveness is how does someone feel about themselves. Yes, yeah. We like to be around people who feel good about themselves. Yeah, and positive was another one. Positive. You know, because if you're going to go through this life, whether it's your personal life or your business life, Bitter, you want someone who's positive because none of us need any help dragging ourselves down. We can do it all by ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> so why yeah. not have somebody who's positive to help move you in that direction when you need that assistance? Yeah, yeah. good point. Yeah. So um, beyond that now, now that we've gotten that out, okay. um, I wanted to ask you about with everything that's going on in society right now, and we are in, um, you know, we're just getting people back to work. And now the governor has now shared with us that we're going to pull some, pull some things back a little mm-hmm. bit. And understandably, I mean, the numbers are getting pretty escalated. Um, but this doesn't seem to be that COVID is backing off at all. 
that it is no longer as strong as it used to be. It's now about are we doing our diligence? Mm-hmm. This is not something to take lightly. This is real. Um, it's the numbers are increasing, and so that can create a lot of ambiguity. It can create discomfort. It can create stress. It can create many many things. Mm-hmm. What have you found as CEO of a company that um, people can do? or an organization can do to solidify itself that it can deal with this in a very proactive way rather than just continuing to react because mm-hmm. a lot of businesses are going out of business. Yes, unfortunately. Which is very unfortunate. Some yeah. of them will never be able to get back again. Yes. Yeah. Because they didn't have enough capital to be able to sustain themselves through this long of a drought in business. And... Um, and I mean, a lot of businesses operate that way. Unless you're a mega corporation that has yeah. deep pockets or public or whatever. Mm, but they've they've had a lot of loans they've out had themselves. Challenges as well, absolutely. Yeah. So what have you? What are some of the things that you um, could share with people? Because you've had lows in your life mm-hmm. um, to deal with with these unpredictable, unusual times. Well, personally. Um, I kind of feel I don't do well sitting around in discomfort. It's too uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I don't do well just sitting there. So um, a lot of things happen to us, whether it's at work or whether it's at home with our kids, ourselves, our spouse, whatever. And so you can't control everything. So it's how you react to it. And so personally, um, I kind of feel like for businesses, okay, your business might have been an in-person business, but okay, stop. Don't go down that, oh gosh, we're doomed. It's, we're never getting back. But okay, if it's to be, it's up to me. I seize every opportunity. If I'm really living by that, then okay, where is there an opportunity here? Um, Would it be an opportunity of developing another program, but online? Would it be doing more coaching online? Would it be refining a program that we already have? Something that is going to, I mean, we'll eventually move to a a more in-person society. Might not be fully to what it used to be, but what you're thinking is always with you. Culture is always with you. Vision, you got to have one or you're just going to, you know, a a wave always crashes eventually. So you can't surf that wave for a long time, forever. So take that opportunity and see it as an opportunity versus um, a major crisis. Very good. And you, I mean, give yourself that five minutes (laughs) or a day to go, Oh, gosh, you know, and feel sad for yourself or whatever. And then, okay, can't be there that long. I'm uncomfortable and I don't like that. So then that's what kind of kicks you to going to do something. And so you can either stay back thinking, this is awful. I have no control. Well, you really don't have a lot of control, but you have control on what you're doing. 
And so that's what I would say is, you know, you have control over how you're going to react to this. Find new opportunities. Find different ways of doing things. Um, Maybe your job was like really terrible anyway and you just were sitting in it. And Mm -hmm. this gives you the opportunity, unfortunately, in not a great way, but to be done with that and find something new Mm -hmm. that you haven't done or you've always wanted to do and, and do it. Yeah, good advice. Yeah. Good advice. Well, that's that's uh, that's very very interesting. What you just said about oh golly gee whiz, you know this COVID thing is, you know there's there's a lot of it's seventy percent of people aren't aren't being affected like the impact is maybe family family wise is from the illness, but as far as the economics of it, and those that are um, need to hear what you just had to share. And that is that I remember there was a point where you got a little dissatisfied with all the work you had to do in the speech pathology thing. And plus, you were in a group that wasn't as team-oriented, and it was not fun anymore. And I had to remind you down through the years when you said, well, maybe I should go back to speech pathology. Mm -hmm. I had to remind you again of what you didn't like about it. And it was kind of a pack we had. Because sometimes we overlook that and we remember the few things that we did like. And we go back to something that we shouldn't have stayed in to begin with. Now, people are looking at their jobs. They're looking, and you mentioned something that they probably didn't like it. And a lot of people don't like it anyway. With Gallup's recent survey, mm-hmm. you know, and talking about over 80% or 75%, it's a big number, are unhappy with their job. This is the greatest thing that could have happened to people. This time for reflection, this time for new opportunity, this time to recreate ourselves. And, and it doesn't matter what situation you find yourself in. I mean, we could all sit down and get violins out and talk yes. about what a miserable opportunity we're dealing with right now or what we've had to go through. And I've said that and shared that in my life programs. I'll take any one of you on to see who's had the toughest time in life. But when we're done with that, we're still right here, right now yeah. with the rest of our life in front of us. And so how do we, and, it, and the question is not, how will I survive and succeed? The, the question is, what do I want it to look like? Mm-hmm. How do I want to feel about it? And start practicing that moment by moment by moment. Because... We are going to do another series down the road where we're going to talk about relationships and, and of, of how you get through the tough times and into the good times. But I wanted to share one thing about Diane and her quest to be the best for others and to have people have a life worth living, as you mentioned earlier, is that when I ever get out around or I start to not behave according to what my beliefs and principles are, Diane holds me accountable. She goes, you know, I'm not really excited about who I'm experiencing right now. (laughs) And when she says that, she also says it with a look like, oh, I feel 12. (laughs) Okay. And yet I want a pity party. I want to really kind of like have some people feel sorry for me. And... What if I'm so grateful to you for so many things, Diane, is to be able to tell me 
not only that's not who I married. <laughs> and thank God you don't bring out the 15 qualities and characteristics. But you do remind me that I have the opportunity to be a better version of myself. And that the reason I'm pitying is because I'm in my own head. I'm not there for others. And you're sharing with me the impact that I'm having by having a pity party and what impact it's having on those around me. Mm -hmm. And it's not what I want. Right. Which causes me then to go, what do you want? And through that shift, I start to begin to enjoy my life again. Yeah. Even though COVID is rampant, even though people are unemployed, even though, and we could go on and on, it doesn't matter. It's not who we are. It's what's happening to us. Mm -hmm. And as long as we continue to hold the vision, look forward to new opportunities and seize them with enthusiasm and excitement, <laughs> and uh, have the opportunity. And I, I got to share this with everybody. If I hadn't gone through what I'd gone through and the pain and the suffering, she wouldn't have even have looked at me in that restaurant because like attracts like. And if and the last thing you want to do when you're trying to get into a relationship is get into one when you're feeling bad about yourself because mm -hmm. you'll attract another person who's feeling bad about themselves and together you'll have a miserable relationship. And so I know that's pretty black and white, but I say that to all of us because we are in this life to enjoy everything that happens to us, whether it's positive or negative. And there are no negatives unless they hold us back. So Diane, again, thank you for your time. Thank you for being a part of my life. And um, not only being such a great mother and uh, spouse, but all, everything you've shared with us. And what would you like to kind of leave everybody with um, relative to their own thinking? Um, I think it would be really taking the time, taking that gap of opportunity and seizing every opportunity with enthusiasm. Um, again, that you can't go wrong. <laughs> you can't go wrong with that. So I think that's it, you know, trying to get out of your head, taking that gap, and then moving forward. Wow. So. Beautiful. Yes. Well, thank you again. Thank you, everyone, for this, this opportunity together. And I wish you all the best and know that you are in right now the moment you need to be in. Wallow in it. Find the value. And the rest of us around you will be blessed. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. Larry's next guest, Mark Bivens, would rather figure life out for himself than just read a manual. And this tinkering philosophy has brought great success to his family as well as his associates. Mark's I'm just a little bit different attitude will give us all a little more courage and understanding of our own wonderful uniqueness, as well as the plays necessary to take us to any vision we hold dear. Join Larry for the laughter and tears this podcast has to offer.